Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I have not gotten worse, Tommy, so I consider that a positive. So you're still your usual mediocre self? Is that what I hear you saying? Well, that's another conversation that I didn't think we were going to get into. I was talking about attitude towards Florida State football, and I remain disappointed. I have not moved to angry, fire everybody, bench everybody, or never go to a game again. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm in better spirits than last uh, you and I talked, which was at the midnight hour approximately on Saturday after what happened in Winston-Salem. Yeah, I'm more where you are on it, and we'll have Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider, join us next segment, uh, which is is not to say I don't want to see improved results. I think everybody does. That That's kind of the conundrum of where we are, though. We We know – I mean, we've known going in, if you think about it, Keith, we knew this wasn't a great football team. We knew the offensive line was a liability, especially if they got people hurt. We knew the receiving core wasn't great. Uh, I think we felt like the quarterback play would be a little bit better than where it is right now. Defensively, I think we felt like the defense would be better. And the passing stats don't say that it is. I do feel like they're a little more sound and that I don't see guys running free the way we've seen in previous years, three, four years going back even. But all that said, when the record's 0-3, it's, it's hard to make that make sense in your mind. I still like the effort. I still like what I'm hearing. Uh, now, granted, you can't take much from interviews but based on the conversations that apparently are taking place. And I'm still convinced, and our listeners, you know, uh, have heard this over and over again. I think 51% or more of the problems are from the neck up. It's not coaching. It's not schemes. Uh, and, and that can be corrected quickly. I mean, we saw how well they played against Notre Dame. Uh, they can play that well again. They just have to make up their minds to do that. And finding a way to make that happen becomes the you know the proverbial sixty four thousand dollar question well hindsight is always twenty twenty, and when your record is what it is we get into the second guessing game right that's what everybody's doing but to the general question well if that guy, that guy can't catch why do you put him in there or if he can't cover why do you have him in there and when the answer is that he does it during the week but he doesn't do it on game day well it takes you game day to figure that out i mean if the guy is is getting busted and beat all week long, then he's not your guy. Uh, unfortunately, it, it's showing up more on game day. And that, that I think, is the essential question that we can address later on in the show in terms of uh, how do you figure that out? Now you've got three games. You kind of know what guys look like on game day, and you can make some changes. Anyway, we're going to let Pat Burnham answer all the tough questions next segment. Does that sound good? That is my plan going in, yes. Excellent. Uh, I, I like the fact that you're a team player. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Patrick Burnham from the Osceola joins us next. We're just getting cranked up here on Front Row Knowles. 
Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We crank open that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we say hello to our good friend from the Osceola, Patrick Burnham. Hey, Pat, how are you? Hey, guys. Doing great. How about y'all? All things considered, to use KJ's term, upright and taking nourishment. Is that correct, Keith? Did I get that correct? That's correct. The sun okay. came up this morning, and I am upright and taking nourishment. Well, what doesn't kill you make you stronger. At least that's what they say. Pat, I thought it was interesting in your takeaway Tuesday column on the on the Osceola, and it's 100% right. I, I mentioned this a little bit to Keith. We can look back and we can play the what-if game about this play or that play, but the other team can do the same thing. And if Wake chooses the 10 plays where it had busted assignments, they could look at it and say they could have won by more. So is it Herm Edwards who says uh, your, your record is what it says it is? You know, we're, we're sitting here at 0-3. So yeah, what, what is, I mean, I definitely think that uh, you can look at the game two ways. It could have been a lot worse than what it was as a loss, or it could have been an you could have played a lot better. Both those things are true, right? So at the end of the day, they even each other out, and it, it simply is what it is. Uh, you know, Wake Forest played a far better football game than Florida State did. They are a far more experienced football team than Florida State is, and all those things showed. Uh, it's a program that has had time to develop a culture under Dave Clawson. That showed itself. Mike Norvell is still trying to establish his culture at Florida State 12 games into his tenure, and all those things were extremely obvious on Saturday afternoon. It's also a true statement that Florida State's 0-3, which none of us thought that we'd be saying right now, but that's where we sit. To the point about maybe it's youth, Pat, so perhaps I'm answering the question, but mistakes, penalties, missed assignments, drop passes, missed tackles, a lot of this has been going on for a while, predating Mike Norvell. And it feels like Groundhog Day, which I think is part of the frustration for fans when you see that. Is youth an explanation for something that multiple coaching staffs have had to deal with? Well, listen, you're gonna you're gonna become a better football player the more reps you get. Uh, you're not gonna make this. You get. You can hope. You hope not to make the same mistakes week in and week out the more experience you get. But you know, this is a different group of young football players than Willie Taggart had in his two years. There's you know, they there's been a almost a complete turnover of the roster or a majority of it has been turned over since Mike Norvell got here. Uh so certainly uh, you know, there is some argument to be made that some of this is because you're playing uh thirty, I think it's the, the numbers in the thirties out of uh close to 30 out of the 53 guys that they listed on the two deep roster two weeks ago, an unbelievable percentage are redshirt sophomores are below. So you're going to have some growing pains with uh, some of the younger guys. And then you've had, you've had some experienced guys who made some mistakes that you would uh, not like to see them make. So some of it is uh, youth. Some of it's just bad football. Matt, after having been able to digest a couple of days, three days worth of this stuff, the one thing I keep coming back to, and it's not new, but it's the offensive line and losing some key people. And I just can't help but think that the frustration or the lack of confidence in the offensive line is affecting everybody and every call. 
It's affecting the coaches. It's affecting the players. It's even affecting, I think, the defense and how they approach things. Can you put that much on one segment, or is that unfair? Well, listen, you've got two segments that are uh, one on each side of the ball that are uh, performing uh, certainly not up to what's needed to win an ACC football game, and that's the offensive line and the defensive backfield or the back seven and pass defense. Both, uh, you know, listen, we knew there were some shortcomings on the offensive line coming out of spring. If you watched them, you knew even with their best five that they had trouble protecting the passer. Uh, we wondered if that would be validated during the season, and it has. Uh, they Whether they got their best five in or not, and there is a significant drop-off once you start losing your front-line guys on the offensive line. And we saw that against Notre Dame, uh, against Wake Forest this past weekend. They, uh, they had success running the ball, but not as much success as they did against Notre Dame or Jacksonville State. Uh, and some of that had to do with who was playing. Uh, you were without Robert Scott. You were out Marie Smith. And uh, not saying that uh, anything personal against the guys, but when you start going further down that depth chart on the offensive line, you've got a lot of young guys or guys that are just not uh, near as good as the people that are in front of them. And uh, you know, I know that uh, Jerry asked Mike about the offensive line after the game, and he had a chance to turn it into an excuse. Uh, and it was not. He did not use it as an opportunity to make an excuse. I think they are aware of the reality that they've got to get much uh, better on the offensive line. And I think in retrospect, if you went back and look at all the guys that they brought in from the transfer portal, uh, they might have done themselves more justice by taking a chance on a couple more offensive linemen with experience. Uh, you know, I don't know the details behind only bringing in one, Dylan Gibbons. We know that they wanted the kid that ultimately went to Notre Dame, but uh, certainly in retrospect and it's the great thing about being on this side of the business is you got 20, uh, 50-50 vision, right? Uh, so, uh, anyway, listen, uh, it is it is a problem. We thought it might be a problem coming into the season, and it certainly has been. To your point, it's easy to say now they should have brought in more offensive linemen. If Marie Smith's not hurt, if Robert Scott's not hurt, maybe we're not sitting at 0-3 right now. It sounds like those guys may be available this week. Maybe. We'll see. What have you seen from the other guys? I mean, is Devontae Love-Taylor not the same guy as a year ago? How has Darius Washington looked to you? Well, listen, you you know, I watch them as a group, uh, and obviously they've been successful running the ball. Uh, They do struggle to pass block. You know, as far as looking at them individually, uh, that's not really how I view the game when I watch it. Uh, you know, you're trying to watch everything develop. And, you know, as a when there's one of you watching a game, it's different than when you, you watch it with four or five people and they can focus on a position. But uh, certainly, uh, you're, uh, to your point, uh, with uh, Robert Scott and uh, the rest of the guys, that Murray Smith, uh, you're better off when those guys are in there. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But as far as breaking them down individually, I have not had a chance to do that. But, uh, you know, they are. They've been moving around a lot, and that affects uh, continuity on the offensive line. Let me so I ask guess you. We're in for a, I guess we're in for a two-headed quarterback, guys. Yeah, listen, uh, there's good and bad in that. Uh, we thought maybe coming into the game that uh, part of the season that having two quarterbacks was a strength. Uh, I'm not a tremendous fan of rotating series to find out who's got the hot hand. Uh, you've got an offense that's struggling to find rhythm and consistency anyway. Uh, Kenny Dillingham admitted that the offense changes when you go from one to the other. I think 
having those kids have a lot of pressure on them already. Pressure from opposing defenses, pressure from uh, the uh, just the fact of being a starting quarterback at Florida State, and now they got now they're going to feel the added pressure if they know that if they're not clicking individually and the offense is not clicking collectively, they're coming out of the game. Uh, I think you got to give this offense a chance to find some continuity. Uh, playing one a vast majority of the time over the other, and I listen. I think it's. Uh, I think I was wrong about it being a strength coming into the season. And I talked to somebody during the game on Saturday that I have a huge amount of respect for, and he pays attention to a lot of things, including body language. And he was not particularly impressed with the body language he saw from either quarterback. To that end, which is the guy if you're going to go with primarily one? Well, you know, listen, that's, I think that's, that's the crux of the problem. Uh, you're a better run offense, right? Well, who's the biggest threat running? Jordan. The problem you got with Jordan is he gets banged up a lot. He has a physical style of football on a slight frame. It's, we, we've seen it time and time again. He gets dinged up and has to go out of the game. Then you got McKenzie, who's coming back from uh, a hideous, hideous injury and lucky to walk, let alone play football. And you don't know how his leg is going to react day to day or week to week uh, from the rigors of a major college football season. I mean, that's a lot of stress on that kid's leg. And none of us know exactly how healthy he is, right, compared to what he was. We just know that he's probably not the same. So I don't see how you get around not playing two quarterbacks, given the situation that they're, they've inherited. I'm not sure I like the application. There's been a lot of talk about th- this week's narrative has been they need to find an identity on offense. And it, it, this is simplistic terms, but it feels like the call is to simplify the offense, go with one guy. And what you do well is you run the football, so just line up and run it. But if you look at where some of their running success has come from, it, it's come from basically tricking the defense at times, too. I mean, if they really were going to say, we're going to run the football, can they line up and run the football, regardless of which quarterback's in there? Well, listen, we saw it against Notre Dame and uh, Jacksonville State, too. The running backs carried the majority of the load running the ball. So, yes, they were running a traditional run offense. Uh, it was not Jordan Travis heavy as it was the year before. You can go back and look at the percentages are way different as far as quarterbacks accounting for the rush yardage this year compared to last year. So, yes, uh, I, listen, you've got to be happy to – get three or four yards at a time. And, you know, you've got a complimentary set of running backs that have different skill sets. Uh, you've got Jordan Travis. You can do some things with him, speed option, uh, some of the things that you uh, would not do with McKenzie. Uh, but certainly I think we've seen them, at least against Notre Dame and Jacksonville State, prove that they can line up, hand it to the running back in some form or fashion, and get the job done running the football. But see, I go back to the age-old thing. I'm the old guy, you know, if you're – if you're playing from behind, if you're down seven, you're down 14, you know, Kenny can talk all about trying to stick to the game plan, but it affects the play calls. It affects the check downs. I mean, a couple of those throws that Milton made, um, you know, are not throws that he would make if Florida State was up by 14. He was pressing. He was trying to make something happen. And, you know, the combination of everything, particularly playing from behind, I mean, it's just a recipe for some bad football, unfortunately. Yeah, and listen, you know, I- 21 to 14 or 21 when scores 21 to seven, I don't think you take chances. It's early in the game. Uh, you got to be a little bit uh, smarter with the football. You're, you know, 14 point lead in today's game is not a, a huge 
uh, deficit anymore. I mean, offenses score quick. We've seen FSU has the ability to strike big. Uh, they did it against Jacksonville State. They did it again. They we even saw the long pass against Wake Forest and uh, Notre Dame. So they, it, you can run the ball consistently and hopefully open up some opportunities for big plays in the fast game. But yeah, I think once you're down. 34 to four, 35 to 14. Yeah, your quarterback's going to take some chances and you can't blame them. But at 21 to seven, uh, a little early to hit the panic button and change what you're doing. Yeah, I guess my question going back to the run, Pat, they, they did have success against Notre Dame. Notre Dame went to a three man front when they had a lot of that success in the second half. Uh, Jacksonville State was Jacksonville State. But when you look at the short yardage situation, I think Kurt might have had it in the Democrat, Kurt Weiler. The Florida State's one for eight in third or fourth and two or less over the last two weeks. So that's the downs when if you are a running football team, you can line up and run the football and get two yards. And I guess that's why the question is my in my head. Can they – I mean, I don't think they're running McKenzie on fourth and two because they want to run McKenzie. I think they're thinking they've got to trick the defense a little bit because if they hand it off, they're not going to get the two yards. And maybe that's because of who they had out there at the offensive line last week and maybe that changes if they get the starters back yeah it definitely could and listen if jordan you know everybody's made a big deal about the wildcat and you know to me the only thing i might do is uh you've probably got a wildcat in jordan travis if he's healthy right so uh he actually offers you more options uh with having him paired with jay sean corbin or uh, trey sean ward in the backfield than putting one of those kids in the wildcat who's not going not to be able to throw the ball. So of course, uh, the defense has a scheme against two different things. Uh, if Jordan Travis is the at quarterback as opposed to putting a wildcat in. So he is your most elusive ball carrier. There's no doubt about that. So uh, in those situations when he's healthy, I'd rather see Jordan with the ball in his hands because he can make people miss and does offer the uh, offer you the affordability to throw the ball out of those formations. So I guess we spent all the time talking about the offense. We're just giving the defense a pass, right? Uh, well, it's something funny that you miss, mentioned passing and defense. <laughs> it was intentional. <laughs> it was accidental, but it was intentional. Yeah, well, listen, uh, obviously the defense has got some shortcomings. And, uh, you know, listen, we thought uh, coming into this year that the secondary uh, was going to be much better. Uh, I think discipline-wise and Tighter coverage-wise, to some extent, they are. But when you're 116th in the nation in pass defense and 94th in opposing quarterback completion percentage, I don't know if it matters how good they are up front. Pressuring the passers better uh, this year than it was last year, that doesn't seem to help. Um, you know, I, they, this week they really need, need to shut down Louisville's. Uh, I know it sounds crazy, and I'll let you talk about it, Keith. I know it sounds crazy to say, but what you want to do is force Louisville to throw the football because what Scott Satterfield wants to do is run that zone stretch, be successful on that, and run everything off that base play, including his passing offense. And if they're successful running the ball, they're going to be successful passing the ball. But, you, I mean, what would you do, Keith? Less ma- less man coverage, more uh, zone? I mean, how do they fix it? I would definitely go more zone, but this is a defensive unit that through two, year, two years has not played zone very well. And um, so, I, you know, I don't know what the right poison is. I do know this. Um, you talk about mesh points and extended mesh points when you're talking about Wake Forest. This will be as good a dual quarterback threat as Florida State will probably face all year long. So, um, you know, I don't know. It's listen, going to be very interesting. 
they're going to have to try to pound this kid when he carries the ball. He's second on the team in rush attempts, second on the team in rushing yardage, and they're going to have an opportunity. Uh, they need to play a vis- very physical style of football when Malik Cunningham is running it. Uh, but you're right. Uh, now, and he is an improved passer, uh, certainly more so than what we saw two years ago when he looked petrified to throw the football against us in uh, the right. stadium. Right. Uh, he's well beyond that, but he does – have the tendency to throw interceptions. He's thrown 14 in his last 14 ball games. So uh, get to stop the run, pressure him, and get better. Whatever you have to do to get better in the secondary, you got to get better in the secondary. Pat, we had you on because I thought you'd make me feel better, but at this very moment, I'm not sure I feel better about this week. But hey, it was good to catch up. These are two very winnable football games. Now How's I that? feel now I feel better. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Patrick Burnham from the Osceola. We'll take a break and come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. on Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Patrick Burnham from the Osceola for joining us. He's our offensive line guru. I don't know that it takes a guru, though, to assess, Keith, that the OL play has not been where Florida State needs it right now. Alex Atkins met the media on Tuesday, and he was asked if he's ever had an offensive line have this many guys go out, and the basic answer was, no, I don't think I have. He's having to shuffle the deck, and Keith, we've talked about this. When a guy goes down and you have to move three guys around to fill in, that that in a nutshell, sums up where your offensive line is from a depth standpoint. There are those that are legitimately critical of some of the comments that uh, Coach Norvell has made relative to, you know, the 30,000 level, 30,000 foot level where he said, you know, I want offensive linemen that can play multiple positions. And there are been, there have been some folks that have kind of latched onto that and said that that's a bad philosophy. You need to recruit tackles, and then you recruit centers and you recruit guards. Uh, you know, probably a question we ought to ask Pat sometime in the future going forward. Uh, but I don't think that that has ended up being the problem because if he didn't have kids that could play multiple positions, where would we be now given all that? So I don't know what the right macro answer is, but I knew there, though, do know there's been some people that have latched onto that and been very, very critical of Mike, and I don't think that's a fair criticism, at least not in the second year. Well, they just don't have the depth there. And when, when, you, when you come out and you say, yeah, we got seven or eight guys we feel good about and one's not on the team and two or three, two of them have been hurt, one of them's playing, but he's not the same guy he was last year, well, all of a sudden seven or eight is three or four, and you need five on an offensive line. So what, what Atkins talked about this week is that they, they haven't just had guys running free, and, and, and that's true thus far. I mean, they've been better in terms of getting a hat on a guy, but that doesn't mean they've been better in terms of pass blocking overall. I mean, there's still issues. I want to go back to what we were talking about with Pat, though, Keith, because I am concerned about the short yardage lack of success for Florida State. Can this FSU team, I mean, certainly if you're going to choose between pass and run as an identity, you're going to choose run because they're not a very good passing team. But I'm not convinced if you sell out and say, we're just going to run the football two out of three downs that the the opposing team can't stop you. Well, two things. Number one, we've seen at the the professional level 
uh, at the NFL that going with the jumbo packages, bringing three tight ends in, bringing the extra tackle in, bringing a defensive tackle in to be the fullback on short yardage or goal line situations has kind of become the norm. And so, you know, generally speaking, Norvell's offense is a lot more spread, a lot more spread out. Uh, Dillingham likes to mix things up. But trying to find a way to go to the jumbo package or go into what you are identifying as a short yardage situation and just concede that we're going to put personnel in there and you know we're going to run and we're going to tell you we're we're going to run and just go mano a mano and make it happen might be something they've got to start looking at. Um, you know, I know another thing that, that happens is that, you know, depending on what degree of um, authority or, or how uh, you let the quarterback make calls, you know, you can get up there and call the same play either way and let the quarterback make the decision as which direction you're going relative to how the defense lines up. I have no clue. We've not asked. We've not been told. Uh, whether they are calling the play and running the play or whether they're calling two plays and the quarterback's making the decision, and sometimes it's a bad decision. Those are questions we haven't gotten to answer, gotten to ask yet, much less gotten the answers for. It's a twofold issue, Keith, because there's you want the offense to stay on the field so they can score some points, but there's also the just get a first down so you can take two more minutes off the clock before the defense goes back out there and play some complimentary football. Right now, it's the opposite of complimentary football. I mean, it's three and out. The defense was on the field for 20 minutes. No matter how improved they may or may not be, if, if the time of possession is that out of whack, it's going to show up later in the ballgame. Time of possession, the number of plays, what was it, 89 to 51? Something of that nature. Yeah, and maybe it's more the plays than the time of possession. I mean, if you're being asked to stop that many, it's too many. I do know, and this is a factual statement, and, and – you know, Adam addressed it in, in the Monday press conferences. They had reasonable success on, you know, three and outs and turnovers. Um, you know, they, they, from a statistical standpoint, the defense performed um, adequately. So there is some measure of sudden change and some measure of not getting the, 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 the rest where they have at least performed better than average. Um, but when you're down, you know, 14 points or you're down 21 points, you know, not only do you want to get the ball back to your offense, you want to try to create some turnovers. And, you know, all that feeds into the same equation. How do you play defensively this week? The DBs have not been good in man, but Florida State has not been a good zone team, as you pointed out, for a couple of years. Now you've got a really mobile quarterback. It seems scary to think that if they, if they run the cornerback down the field and man coverage and his back is turned, that's a 27-yard gain for the quarterback before you before you take a breath. You know, I, I think with, with Malik uh, Cunningham, you've got to play zone. And you may – I know people have been absolutely critical, particularly in the Jacksonville State, of what, what's called five under, where you're playing man coverage underneath with two safeties over the top. But, but when you do want to try to pressure – you know, that is, in my opinion, a, a formula that can work. You know, you may give up some gash plays, but hopefully you won't give up the long touchdown plays. But in answer to your question, Florida State's got to play a lot a lot more zone. And I think you've got to pull out your zone blitz packages and find some ways to get linebackers or even a safety, you know, coming and, and, and having, you know, awareness of run support 
but putting pressure on that quarterback to make him get that ball out of there, you know, much quicker than that he wants to. But, uh, you know, the long answer uh, shortly is you're going to have to play more zone than you're used to. This week, as a reminder, Florida State won't have Sidney Williams for the first half as a result of that targeting call in the second half last week. Keith, I, I want to opine about targeting and how the NCAA officiates it right now. It well, was, it was tar- first. This will be a first. This will be a first. Right yeah, I'm not going to go to that. You can just queue up last week's show at about the same point, and you can hear my thoughts on that. Uh, although that was a targeting call. Let's go. Let's go back to offense. I, I agree with what Pat said in terms of the the Wildcat. And I don't know if this is how they'll go, but if McKenzie is your starter in your in your in your red zone offense in your short yarded situation. You could bring Travis in there uh, as opposed to the Wildcat from the standpoint that he could run it, he could hand it off, or he could throw it. Whereas right now, what we've seen with Corbin, you know he's going to tote the football. What do you think? Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Now, when you've got an offensive line that can hold their own, where you're not worried about you know, the threat of the pass and how that affects the defense, you're just going to line up and get your two or three yards, then I see that too. Um, but I agree with you. I, I, you've got to run. You've got to have the threat of the pass in short yarded situations, or they're just going to stack the box, and, and Florida State's offensive line can't handle it. What looks different to you about Jordan this year in terms of how he's running the football or not running the football? The thing that jumps out at me is his lack of creativity in throwing the ball down the field. I mean, I, I think they've got him so worried about sliding or getting out of bounds that he's lost that recklessness that was so much to his advantage. And he's thinking too much. And when he gets outside, instead of just slinging the ball, he's trying to aim it. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the coaches have said to him, but that is what appears to be the case to me. I could be entirely wrong. But in other words, he is thinking too much and not just reacting as he did last year. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And if that's what's happened, it's because he knows he got dinged a lot last year. And so right. it's a conversation about protecting yourself, getting down, get out of bounds, do those sorts of things so you don't take as many hits. And yet here we are three games in, and he hasn't finished any of the three games, the, the first and the third, I think because he was dinged. The second one may be coach's decision. Point being, you're getting the same the same thing as rearing its ugly head. Uh, to me, we we haven't seen the 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 high side of what he brings from a running standpoint. To me, at least not yet this year. Well, just reflect back on the Boston College game last year. I mean, it looked like he was a man amongst boys. He was decisive. He was quick. He was strong. Um, he wasn't thinking. He was just reacting. And. Uh, you know, that, that unfortunately is apparently left him or not a part of what he is anymore, or he needs to get it back because that's when he is most dangerous. You mean the BC game two years ago when he burst on the scene? The one I'm sorry, there? two years. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Two years ago, two years ago. My bad. Yeah. But even last year, I mean, he had the 90 yard run against Pitt. He smoked North Carolina in that big first half. We haven't seen those kind of a, his longest run is like a 20-yard scramble against Notre Dame when the whole left side of the field opened up, you know. So we haven't seen the same thing that he brings to the table. I, I don't know. Uh, Milton Milton clearly didn't have a good week last week. We're talking a lot about his leg, rightly so, but there's there's got to be a rust component in there too. He, he's basically played two football games now if you added up the snaps in three years, right, plus, plus some spring. So some of that right. might be shaking off some rust. 
not not just the leg situation. Well, two things, and I've not had the chance to spend any time with him, so I may be completely mistaken, but I cannot help but believe that his leg is not 100%, i.e., he started using it now, and he's been hit on a little bit. And I, I liken the comparison, you know, that we've made sometimes with uh, basketball players. You know, when a basketball player tweaks his ankle or tweaks his knee and he's a real finesse type of shooter and that type of thing, it just throws the game completely off for them. So he's now having to play. He, Milton, is now probably having to play with a leg that's bothering him. I'm not saying it's injured, not even saying it's hurt. I'm just saying, you know, it's it's not 100%. So it's it's in the back of his mind. And then secondly, he's a very smart player. And sometimes that game awareness and that perception, I mean, there's no way that he throws that interception that he threw moving right to left. I forget what quarter it was. If he's not pressing, because he just doesn't make those kinds of decisions unless he is trying to do too much. So I think you put both of those together, and that may explain why we're not seeing all the things that we saw in the spring in terms of his command of the game and those types of things. And that's something he's just going to have to work through. That's part of football. Once you're back into the to the you know the day and day and day in and day out thing. I know the way the Jacksonville State game turned out, but the first drive, the two throws he made back-to-back, which I said at the time, they were tremendous. And the one that was dropped by Malik McClain that preceded the drop by Helton, that was the same throw that he hit in the spring game mm-hmm. over the DB to McClain. And we all looked and thought, man, he can do that. And he, he repeated it, but the receiver dropped it two in a row. So, uh, And he probably had five or six drops. And, I mean, again, we can play the what-if game. But his numbers look better if the receivers don't drop him in the Jacksonville State game. Now, that doesn't change anything in Wake Forest necessarily, but but there's other blame to go around, I guess, is what I'm saying. Well, again, the point simply being, you know, we're now in the third game, bumps and bruises and thought processes and coaches' criticism and missed opportunities and all of that goes in. And you've got to be able to, as again, as, as Jimbo used to say, you've got to take the clutter and get rid of it and stay focused on the things that you need to be focused on. And uh, he hasn't done that for 1,013 days or whatever that account was. He'll get better at it. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a competitor, uh, but he's having to go through, as you mentioned, and I think it's very apropos, he's having to go through knocking some of the rust off. Okay, let's talk defense in our next segment, Keith. You called for more zone defense here. Uh, We're going to explain why that may or may not be a a good idea for Florida State when we come back on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. All right, Keith, you were a defender for Florida State. You're a defensive guy. You know this, and you pointed it out. I understand why you would call for more zone defense. I think everybody understands that when you see guys getting beat in man-to-man and when you're playing a mobile quarterback and you don't want to turn his back on him. But where is Florida? Florida State has been deficient in, in zone coverage. 
for, for a number of years. I mean, we were talking about this with Harlan Barnett, probably with Charles Kelly. It feels like, and maybe it's because they spend more time playing man, but it's not like zone is uh, necessarily a great remedy. Well, the, the, the biggest criticism I've had over the last few years is that there seems to be, I'm not there, uh, we'd have to ask, but there seems to be some confusion or thought that when you're in zone, you run to a spot and you stand there. And that's not what zone defense is. Zone defense is you're running to your spot, but as soon as somebody comes into your area, you move to him. And occasionally you're going to make some bad calls and somebody's going to beat you, but there'll be safeties and others behind you. But it makes no sense to run to your spot, stand there, watch the ball be caught, and then go try to tackle somebody. You know, it's, it's, it's like 1,001, 1,002, now we're in man. So who's my closest man? Go get him. And that sounds simplistic and silly even, but that's where you start from, and then you build off of it. But we have never even gotten there for whatever when said, reason. When you said 1,000, I thought you were going to say it's like death by a 1,000 paper cuts, which would have been apropos also when they start throwing the little dink and dunk on you, right? Well, if they're going to dink and dunk, you got to make tackles in the open field. I mean, you know, you can't cover dink and dunks in zone regardless of how talented you are. But that makes them work the ball down the field. That gives your front four, or if you bring some blitz, the opportunity to get the hands in the air and get some balls batted at the line of scrimmage. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other things that go into it uh, if they want to dink and dunk. Our problem has been they're the equivalent of five- and seven-step drops, even though they're starting in the shotgun. So, in other words, the, the play is taking two seconds or two-and-a-half seconds and they're just standing in a spot waiting for the ball to be released instead of having some form of peripheral vision and know that, well, that line, that tight end is over to my right and he's crossing in front of me. Move up two steps and move one step to your right and be in a position to disrupt the play. You make it sound very easy, Keith. It's, it's hard. It is not complicated, Tommy. It's not complicated, but it is hard to do. Gotcha. I agree with your comment earlier that the effort has been not the issue. I'm not saying you couldn't look at uh, all three game tapes and find a play or two where guys are not competing as hard as you'd like them to, but generally speaking, it feels like the effort has been pretty good. And by all accounts, uh, practices have been good. I mean, back to your earlier point that, you know, there, there appeared to be a little frustration or disillusionment is too strong a word, but, you know, you could see Coach Norvell's mind spinning when he was asked those questions because he knows that these plays have been made in practice and, and hasn't quite figured out the solution as to why they're not being made in the game. You know, in one sense, that's a positive. At least the play can be made somewhere. Finding the way to have practice translate into the game, you know, normally that's not the issue. Normally you talk about kids that don't practice very well, but when the light comes on, they perform well in the game. This is a little different issue for whatever reason it appears. Yeah, and it goes back to trusting that the coaches, they're not starting a guy based on not being able to do it in practice unless there's just zero options and they're choosing the, you know, the lesser of two, three, four, five evils, however many you have at that position. Uh, but they're, they're certainly not saying, well, he's gotten beat every day in practice, so let's put him back at corner. I mean, that, that's not the way that goes. Uh, if you switch it to the offensive side, it's sort of like the calls for Chubba Purdy right now. Uh, you got you got two quarterbacks. One of them, by the way, has another two years of eligibility left at FSU and Jordan Travis. 
So I think it's too early for that. Uh, I mean, if you're, if you're going to go that route, and what, what does that say if you went that route? Well, it says that you're giving up on this year and you're building for the future. And I still think this coaching staff thinks, and I do too, that there's some games that can be won this year. You know, when, when I know it was 40-something years ago, but when Coach Bowden got his hat handed to him by a Miami in 1976 and then went out to Oklahoma and started, you know, seven freshmen and, you know, first-year or second-year sophomores, he was basically saying the 76 season is not our focus right now. We're focusing on the future. You could make that decision. If you're Coach Norvell, you could make that decision. But I don't think they're prepared to do that yet, and I wouldn't encourage them to do it. No, I don't think they are. I don't think the time's right yet. And uh, you risk uh, – look at all the guys that came in from the portal, many of whom just said they're in their last year. Uh, you know, how, how do they react if you, if you make that decision too? So, um, I don't know. They get another chance on Saturday. Clearly, this is the, the portion of the schedule. If you're going to just base it on expectations that you would look at as uh, more winnable than some of the other games are. We know the back half of the schedule is more difficult. But thinking about the back half of the schedule, or even next week against Syracuse, does you no good when you're getting ready to play Louisville this week. There's only one priority, and that's the name that's on the front of your jersey when you line up at 3.30 on Saturday, and it just happens to be Louisville that's the other team this week. Keith, I am looking forward to catching up postgame a little bit earlier than we have the pretty much all season, which has been in the wee hours. This, this week it should be, you know, 9 o'clock-ish when you and I get together. So that's better. Sure, we'll, we'll only be an hour past my bedtime. Yeah, well, usually usually turn in when the sun sets, which I know with uh, daylight savings time shift coming up in a month or so, you're going to be going to bed really early. Keith, yeah, I'll talk to you this it's weekend. Been a full, it's been a full moon of late, and that's got me confused. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.